everyone, and welcome back to the ring. I, of course, am your host, the one and only B.O.B., and with me, as always, is the man, the myth, the legend. Don't worry about getting indicted in New York because you didn't do anything wrong there, Rob the Lawyer. Thank you very much, Rob. How are you? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> you doing all right today? Yeah, I'm doing good. Good, good, I'm good. Sure for a second, it sounded like I heard, I heard my, my Zoom just went to the weird, like, beep. No, oh, that's weird. Yeah, thought you were gone. Nope, nope, still here. Still here, unfortunately, for a lot of people, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, any big news in the last month? You guys got moved in, right? Yeah, we just moved in this past weekend. That's the dog got, a, got a along quicker than I anticipated. Well, that's the good. The cat is now apparently the alpha. Okay, well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. That usually I was is. Told from a few foster, like, like the foster, right? Uh, his, his former foster, that I should expect the cat to be jumping on counters to get away from the dog, and that hasn't happened. He just stands there and stares him down. Mm hmm. Kind of a unique thing. That, yeah, that's with our, uh, when we brought home our dog, our, yeah. uh, uh, our cats were just like, oh no. Like, you can be here, but uh, we run this place. Yeah. You know. I mean, the funny, the, I don't know if it's a funny part, but the weird part is, I mean, this was the dog's home first and foremost. Yeah. So, <laughs> I guess the cat has taken over. Yeah, I told yeah, you. But they get along. I mean, it's not, I, I say he's the alpha, but they, they get along. They don't they don't mess with each other. That's good. No hissing, no barking. They just, you know, they live they live peacefully amongst them. Yeah. They, they, have, a, they have a truce. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, that's pretty much how ours are. We we got a new cat recently, and the new cat oh. is bugging one of the old cats because she's younger and wants to play. And of yeah. course, our older cat Penny wants nothing to do with playing at all, really, <laughs> unless it's the yeah. laser pointer. She has zero interest, so <laughs> all she does is hiss and run away. But then uh, the other cat Phoebe thinks that she's playing with her. She's like, "Oh, we're playing a game. You're gonna run away from me, and I'll chase you." And uh, Penny's like, this isn't, <laughs> I ain't playing. This isn't game, I just hate you. <laughs> yes, right, exactly. So uh, that's been, that's been fun. Uh, we were just to let you guys know we were supposed to do this on, uh, what was that, yesterday? Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah. Tuesday. And uh, there was an unfortunate thing with a, a power outage. I had to fly down to Florida real quick and bust some heads. But fortunately, everything's back on and, and uh, we got Rob up and with us here today to have to talk about his favorite wrestler would you say he's your favorite of all time or uh your favorite from the 90s how would you classify it i would put him in my top three mm -hmm. and definitely top two of the nine of the 90s yeah i got you so like for, for me like he was the person i like if i couldn't see sting wrestle if I was going to a WCW show, if I got this, if somehow Sting wasn't booked for that show, as long, long as Brad Armstrong was there, yeah. I was a happy camper. Well, there you go. Yeah. Even I, though I knew he was going to lose. <laughs> well, I didn't know he was going to lose. Back then, it was real to me. Yeah, I understand. But, I mean, it is it is kind of, like, a little disappointing in all of these matches. It's like, oh, it's a great match. And Armstrong didn't. Yeah, I, I forgot that. I, no, the, the four matches I found that yeah. I really enjoyed that we're going to be talking tonight. I, just, I realized after watching, I'm like, no, he lost. He lost every single one of them. Yeah. And, and in some matches, like I think with Muda, he didn't even, you know, he didn't, he didn't even get to hit his finish. 
Yep. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, he didn't hit his finish. He only hit him in. Well, we got five matches. If you want to talk about yeah. the the tag match, um, with Horner in uh, versus Wyndham and Anderson, but because uh, I figured we'd start off with that one because that'll give us a good. Because, I mean that we'll just get right into it. The uh, yeah. if that's all right with you, uh, yeah, you're yeah. kind of. I'll be honest though, my my notes are kind of like uh, are not as great on that one because I, uh, being honest, forgot we were going to cover that one. Oh, you're fine. So you're fine. I, I took Very pretty, much. I took pretty good notes. I didn't do exactly what I would do, like full on for a full on review, like I do for the the classic pay per views. Yeah. But I did take fairly decent notes on everything, just because I can't help it. Like I get in there and I'm like, oh, I want to talk about this. I want to make sure I point this out. You know, that was a really cool spot. We should say something about. You know what I mean? So, exactly. um, but yeah, so we're talking about Brad Armstrong. Uh, Brad Armstrong, of course, the uh, the son of Bullet Bob Armstrong, who was a huge babyface in the South, mid South mostly, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. And uh, of course, he he had his brothers Scott and didn't he have a brother Steve? Steve? And uh, of course, Road Dog Brian James is his is his brother as well. Uh, is he a half brother? You know, I always thought. I thought he was, but the fact that you bring it up as a question makes me wonder if I was right. Now I'm not sure anymore. It's just weird that he doesn't go by Brian Armstrong, you know? Let's see. Maybe he was adopted, huh? Because I thought, I thought they were all related. No, no, they're... You know. I mean, his dad is... His, his dad is Brad Armstrong. I mean, Bob Armstrong. Yeah. And yeah, he according to Wikipedia, if that can be trusted, they're just calling Scott, Brandon, Steve his brother. Yeah, so, well, there we go. Yeah, we, I guess he is. I guess they're not. He's not a half brother. He's a full-on brother. Huh? He's. A, I didn't know that. I. I did. I never knew that he was a full-on Armstrong. I always assumed. I guess I don't know why I always assumed that. Probably because of the name, you know. But. Uh, I mean, I always assumed that he was um, maybe like you know like the. Half, not half brother, but uh, like a cousin. Like, a, like a, yeah. he was a relative of the Armstrong family, yeah. but I didn't realize he was an actual son of Bob. Yeah. Well, I mean, he does kind of look like Bob, not uh, a lot because he's a a little pudgier than Bob is, but Bob was because yeah. Bob was always very lanky. But uh, yeah. So anyway, Bob Armstrong, the Armstrong family, of course. Scott Armstrong went in to be a referee. Um, Steve, I, I don't know what happened to Steve. I imagine it's probably not good. <laughs> um, I think after WCW um, folded, he just kind of went his separate ways. I don't think he did much after that. Yeah, and then, uh, of course, we all know Brian James as uh, the road dog. Uh, road dog Jesse James, whatever you want to call him. Um, and then uh, Brad, he... Uh, Brad went on. He had actually had a decent amount of success after uh, during the when he left WCW. Um, what was it? He won the USWA title a couple of times. Yes, and uh, he also won the Smoky Mountain Wrestling title in the the final months of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Because the way I've of course, I you know again I haven't done that much research, but just looking at the dates on the YouTube uh, videos 
that I could find that even had Brad Armstrong in them from Smoky Mountain, which are horrendous. That's why a lot of this stuff was really poorly recorded. That's why we're not talking about it. Yeah, which is sad because that was some of his better work. Yeah, I mean, his work was always great. It was just that, um, I guess, the booking committee didn't let him really go all out except for yeah. limited circumstances. But his better work was in Smoky Mountain. Yeah, because he, like, that's the thing is, I would have loved to see that championship match between him and Buddy Landell. Cause when Buddy Landell wanted to, he could go and the two of them could have put on a heck of a match. It would be lovely to see Brad get over in a really good match like that. But then again, yeah. I mean, we might end up running across a really good Brad Armstrong one-on-one match during our WCW reviews here, because I'm going to, I want to kick those back up hardcore once we do our mania show next week. Yeah. Because, you know, I did a poll on Twitter, uh, this was like two months ago, like, what do you want to see? And the WCW reviews were like, number one with a bullet. So, I uh, I have no problem going back to doing those. Those are a lot of fun. They move quick, and you get to talk and see people that nobody talks about anymore. You know, nobody's talking about Manny Fernandez or, <laughs> you know, anybody like that. So, it's it's nice to be able to talk about those guys. Yeah. I saw a picture of Manny Fernandez when he won the Florida championship title in like 79. And I was like, my God, he looks so young. I was, what the heck? Big old Afro. (laughs) It's funny looking anyway. um, (laughs) Back to our, uh, to, to our reviews. The first match we're going to do is, uh, Barry Windham and Arn Anderson, who are the who were at that at that time in the Four Horsemen, versus uh, Tim Horner and Brad Armstrong, known at the time as the Candyman. Um, and this is kind of a this is this is a a theme I think that ran through Armstrong's career is he just got saddled with a lot of really dumb gimmicks that had zero legs to them, you know? Yeah. I mean, like there was only so far you could get, I mean, the, the candy man name itself, I think we touched on it at least maybe, maybe in our private conversations. It's just a creepy name. It really I is. Mean, like... it's, it's, there's, I mean, I don't know how you market that. And then you had, you know, gimmicks such as like a rapid man, which you could never market. You yeah. put him in WCW co- colors, but you make him look like. You, you, I mean, he's basically Spider Man. Yeah, you made him Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, but you made him purple and yellow as opposed to red and blue. Yeah, but then you get, you're immediately going to get sued by Marvel, which I'm pretty sure that's was it Marvel or oh, Stan Lee that sued him. Yeah, yeah, that happened within like a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, there was no. It, even even if they were allowed to play those gimmicks out, I mean, where do you go with them? Well, and he was shooting silly string out of his, I mean, come on. It was just, yeah. it, it's just dumb, you know? And that was obviously I mean, it, it, Jim Hurd. I, that had to have, that had Jim Hurd written all over it. Yeah. I mean, it was entertaining for kids maybe, but I mean, even kids know that, you know, you'd rather see the real Spider-Man instead of the knockoff, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> wish version, you know? And then he was, what was the other one? Buzzkill. Because oh, yeah. a ripoff of his brother. Yeah. I do you remember how that gimmick came about? I I don't. I was not watching at the time. I just read a little what? bit about it. I was like, this is this is really stupid. Like, where do you yeah. go with this? So 
so they were Vince Russo was doing the like a George Steinbrenner from Seinfeld knockoff of himself. Like he would, oh my he God. would be his voice. He would, he would have the Harris trends, um, in the back in the in the background of the shot. He'd be in the desk, mm-hmm. and a wrestler would come in and he would talk about what needs to be done, what changes need to happen, yada yada. And at one point, Brad gets introduced, gets pulled in, and. Nothing really happens. He just walks through the door. He comes out and he's talking to another wrestler. I can't remember who. And he all, all like this is not an exact quote, but he tells the person he was talking to, I mean, how do you think I feel? I was told to get a personality like my brother up north. And that's how Buzzkill was born. Buzzkill was supposed to be another version of the road dog. But you know, using the same like I don't think he had a similar catchphrase. He might have. But you know, he had the he had the tie-dye shirts, he had the dreadlocks. It was basically, you know, how do we make Brad Armstrong look like the road dog without calling him the road dog? And the best part was the dreads weren't even real. Yeah. They were attached to a beanie that mm-hmm. he wore on his head. Yeah. Or a, um, or a, maybe it was a bandana, but it was not real. Yeah. I mean, it, I remember one match, it came off during the match. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, doesn't. As soon as you said Russo, I was like, well, there, there you have it. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like if there's anybody, and of course you know Russo. I don't think Russo's ever had an original idea ever. And no. the I ones mean, he had, well, no, he has had some, but pretty much every single one of them was awful and did nothing but make the business look like shit. So yes, like the artist formerly known as Goldust. Oh God, or Shark Boy, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, I mean, I will say this: Buzzkill was a step up from BA when. Uh, he was uh, when uh, the West Texas Rednecks were a thing in WCW. Oh God! They were feuding with the No Limit Soldiers, and of course, No Limit Soldiers didn't really have many wrestlers. I think I, I want to say Mysterio and Conan were part of that group, part of that faction, but yeah. they needed a third wrestler because they didn't have anyone. No. So they brought in Brad Armstrong and called him BA. Ah. <sighs> Mm. So, you know, I, and I was at the pay-per-view where he wrestled and I vividly remember him doing a takedown and then just strutting around the ring in the most, uh, let's just say the song Pretty Fly for a White Guy <laughs> basically explains what had happened at that point. Oh. It, 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 I mean, it, it was like I I wasn't ashamed to be a fan of Brad, but I was like, oh my gosh, what is he doing? Please stop that, <laughs> Brad. Please, please, you're 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 ruining it. Yeah, uh, I'm embarrassed for you. Oh yeah. Well, that's what somebody else said uh, when I was talking that we were going to do this show about Brad Armstrong, and they were like, oh, that's the guy who had uh, people say had the most personality in the wrestling business until you turned on a camera. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a that's a common story of his too. Like. Everyone would say that he he could make you break character backstage, but he couldn't translate that character that that that, that charisma mm-hmm. once the cameras were on. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, it could have you know not this is just obviously you know Monday morning quarterbacking everything, but it probably was because you know he seems like the type who once he knew what buttons to press with you. Yeah. In order to make you laugh, he could he could you know he could feed off that. Yeah. You have a crowd, and you're basically told you have to be a set character, so you know that's going to make it hard to translate. I think if he was wrestling in this era, mm-hmm. 
he would have been much more successful. Well, I think also if he hadn't come up when the territories were dying off, you know, and there was nowhere to really go, you know, because yeah, yeah. let's say he came, he came into WCW and he was still pretty like relatively green. And what, what, what are we on? 86 now? 87. Yeah. Yeah. So if he came in in 87, late 86, early 87, you know, by 89, every other territory is dead except for WCW for the most part. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, Memphis is still Memphis still kept going for the longest time, but it was like literally just Memphis and they didn't have stars or anything, you know. So there wasn't yeah. there was nowhere for him to hone his craft. And of course, he stuck with WCW and that was what a uh, complete clusterfuck for three years. And then, because you had the booking committee and Jim Hurd, and then Rick took over, but didn't take over. Then Dusty took back over. And then after that, then you get Bischoff and you, you get Hogan and, and all those guys coming in and they're doing their own thing. And everything becomes about having this, you know, this, this badass gimmick because the attitude era starts to be in full swing. And then, you know, so yeah, I, I, I think you're right. If he had come up, even five years earlier or 20 something years later, <laughs> it would have been better yeah. for him because, Oh yeah. I mean, you could, could you imagine the classics he would have had with Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, you know, Claudio. And also so. there's another thing, you know, they never, this is, and we'll talk about this when we get to the second match, but other than uh, what, with the Freebirds, he was always a baby face. And yeah. that's kind of no, no. Well, I mean, wasn't he? Yes and no. I, I mean, mean, are we talking early career? Well, I guess we're just talking in general. I just, I've, I've never seen him as anything other than a babyface. Well, yeah, he portrayed a. Okay, so right around when Raven joined WCW, mm -hmm. he was this bitter character. He actually had a, um. What do you call those shirts? Like, like what, what's the kind of style that RVD has on his um, and Buff Bagwell has on their on their clothes? It's um, airbrush. Yeah, airbrush. Yeah, he had an airbrush shirt that would have like, I guess, a lion's like eyes. Yeah. And it just said Armstrong Curse, and uh, he would portray a he mm. would portray a heel like he would do heelish tactics. Yeah. Use a little like rope, um, you know, like rope chokes and stuff like that just to show his frustration yeah and yeah. that's really and, and like when he would fight goldberg um like he fought goldberg a lot to try to beef up that win streak yeah uh he would use a lot of um heel tactics so that I mean yes he worked his latter a lot of the latter parts of his career when he was working on nitro yeah or thunder he was working as a heel when he would do tag matches with tim horner because that was still a thing going on late wcw yeah he was more on the face side, but anytime he was, um, it basically came down to this. If he was coming to the ring with his Armstrong curse shirt, he was, <laughs> he was a heel. He was heel. If he was coming down the ring with his, um, his white jacket or his USA flag jacket, yeah. he was a face. Oh and that was, still, that was the case always in WCW. Um, especially when he was fighting Berlin. Oh my God. That's just, yeah, so. ugh, poor guy. I feel bad. Like, because there's so much potential there. But they never gave him a manager. That's another thing. With a guy who can't talk, you give him a damn manager, especially if he's that good in the ring. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, good Lord. And Tim Horner, I don't even want to get started with Tim Horner, but you know my feelings on him. Uh, oh, yeah, I know. But uh, so anyway, 
let's get back to we'll get back to this match and then we'll go to the next match um no wait what was i gonna say something uh, yeah that just goes to show more more bad gimmicks more uh bad choices by management i don't think it had anything to do with brad you know he was probably just one of those nice guys who wanted a paycheck was like yeah i'll do whatever you know but well, i'm sure yeah, I mean, he... a lot of people have said it about him too like that's always been the thing like he wasn't gonna make waves backstage just he would do what he was told you know but i'm sure when they gave him fucking arachnaman he had to be like roll his eyes and be like are you fucking kidding me <laughs> like i gotta be spider-man what why <laughs> i don't have to be spider-man just let me be me but uh all right so moving on the candy man brad armstrong who for those of you who didn't know would throw candy out to the kids and hand candy out to the kids on his way to the ring um brad said that he hated that he liked the actually handing the candy to the kids part of the gimmick because the you know, kids enjoy candy and he liked making people smile but he said he hated wearing tights he's like that was the worst part of that gimmick was the tights and if you watch this match, you'll see they're like candy cane striped red and white tights. It's just, yep. yeah, it's, it's really, really bad. <laughs> and, there are some wrestlers who are, I mean, this is a, this is an aesthetic thing, but there are some wrestlers who, you know, you watch them transition from, uh, you know, wrestling tights, from, uh, you know, trunks to like tights. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that makes sense. The transition was there and he looks good at it. But it'd be like Randy Orton wearing uh, tights. It just—it's yeah, not a look. No, it's not no. is. It doesn't identify him. No, it that would throw the whole. You you would be like is that that's Randy Orton. I mean, yeah. yeah. Even even in a street fight, like I expect Randy to be wearing jeans and a, a like a like a tank top, but not yeah. tights. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So anyway, the he they're uh you know they were part of the Lightning Express who had. Did they ever have a? They had uh, the U.S. tag titles, Tim Horner and Brad Horner, Horner and Armstrong, right? They had a couple reigns with the U.S. tag titles, I believe. Yes. Yeah. And I don't, uh, I don't know if it's a couple. I think it was like it may have been. May, it may have been one, one or two. Yeah. No, I think it was just one. It was. It was one. It was, it was just the, one. The, yeah, they were an NWA tag champion. I know at least one time, and I think a, UA, a UWF tag champion as well. So I guess. They're a two-time title holder. Okay. So, so the Lightning Express was good. They're taking on Wyndham and, Ar and, Wyndham and Anderson. Uh, first thing I have written down is the missile drop kick off the top that, that uh, Armstrong hits, which is just, man, it's so good. And he is so smooth throughout yep. this entire match. Christian picture perfect. Uh, the figure four, he puts on the figure four leg lock, which looks fantastic. Um, I've noted here that they gave Brad a lot of offense in the beginning of this match, uh, did yeah. Arn and Barry. So I think that goes to show with a lot of these matches, especially with the, uh, uh, the veterans, it goes to show that they really respected Brad or they wouldn't sell for him and give him quite so much when they could, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, exactly. They do uh, him and Arm, him and uh, Horner did some great double teams. Uh, there was a spot I love this where um, Brad had I think it was Wyndham in an armbar, and Wyndham used the uh, armbar arm to do a trying to do a hip hip toss, and Brad just rolled with him through it yep. and, into an arm drag and came right back up into the armbar. 
And I was like, man, that was cool. Like, that was just like, you, you don't that's see anybody do that. No, you don't see anybody do that today. And that's a signature Brad move. Yeah. And a lot of the matches we're going to talk tonight, I mean, that he would do a, you know, he would get caught in, um, someone would try to reverse, reverse, uh, hold with, with an arm drag and Brad would just float over back into it. And it, it was, or, or they would try to counter a side headlock. And Brad would just still float over into into the move or to a different transitional hold, and it was you know it, you you would have to. It was it was so seamless and quick that if you blinked you missed it, and even if you wa- watched it, like on you know like on YouTube or yeah. you know back, back then on TV, you would have to re- rewind it and go frame by frame to see what exactly just happened because it was so quick. I literally, you know, it was, it was just so it's smooth. Smooth is the best way to explain it for him. I literally almost did that. Like I watched it probably about three times. Cause I was like, wait, did I, did, did I see that? Right. Did that just happen? And then I yeah. watched it again. I was like, Holy cow. But you really, you can't catch it unless you really know to look for it because it's like, it looks like just another move in the match until you really think about what just happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, if I had had it on DVD and I could pause it and go frame by frame to watch him do that, I totally would. So, if there's any aspiring wrestlers out there and you want to find if you want to find a cool move that nobody does anymore, find one of those Brad Armstrong matches where he takes that arm bar and reverses the hip toss into an arm drag back into the arm bar. It's yeah, freaking amazing. Um, and of course, you know, Wyndham being as athletic as he was at the time, just went right with it. And so I think it looked better because Wyndham is so much bigger. You know what I mean? He's such a yeah. big dude. He's so tall that like that big guy going, you know, flipping Armstrong over and then Armstrong basically using that momentum to create the arm drag and then pop right back up into the arm bar. Just, yeah. Anyway, um, Let's see. Brad, oh, they give him uh, a double DDT, and Brad sells the crap out of it. He just lays there in the ring. Like, I know you don't, you know, I mean, we were talking about things he does great, and selling was one of the great things he did. In all of these matches, there's some move he does where he just sells the crap out of it and makes it, puts it over. But that double DDT, man, he just, like, he hit it and then just crumbled. Like, right flank face flat on the on the canvas did not move and it made the move look that much better for it you know what i mean yeah and I'm, and one thing i always liked about brad's selling ability is that it's not like ragdoll physics mm-hmm. like i mean i'm a i'm a ziggler fan but i have to say like he sells as if he was shot out of a cannon or something he bounces it's, like a super bowl yeah and i mean it's nice that's that's like um you know an ooh and ah factor, I guess. Yeah. But it's not real. No. If you get punched in the face, you're going, you know, you go down. You don't, you know, you don't do like the Hulk Hogan, Shawn Michaels cell where you flip out of the ring over the, you know, into the crowd and stuff like that. I mean, Brad, when he would get hit, it looked like you really hit him. Oh, yeah. And like, the, the, the physics that he, the logic and physics behind everything was just incredible. Like he knew exactly where to fall, how to fall, and how to make it look like the most brutal thing ever happened to him without being cartoonish. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I think you said it right there and I wanted to address that later on in the last match we talk about, I want to talk about that because his opponent has such a great right hand and he sells it so well. Yeah. You know, 
Um, but uh, in this one, yeah. Oh, did now did Brad come over the top rope for that sunset flip on Arn Anderson that didn't get counted? I think he yes. did. Yeah, over did. the top rope sunset flip, which again, like if you blink, you'll miss it in this match because it happens like that. But uh, looked fantastic. It was so like almost out of nowhere, you know, because most of the time a move like that is really yeah. set up. Like, you know, the other guy's holding on to the top rope and he's bending over what's for what seems like forever. And this just came out of freaking nowhere. Like I was literally looking down, taking notes or I had looked away from the television for a second. And then I looked back and there's goes Brad over the top rope from the outside. Cause he comes, he jumps up onto the apron and then over the top rope on fucking Arn. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. But yeah. So again, the athleticism of one Brad Armstrong, um, they start building the hot tag, which was fantastic. They did a great build for that. Uh, which then, because Horner got the hot tag, right? Yes. Yeah, that was not a very good comeback because I didn't write anything. Oh, well, it was, it was it. Horner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like when you're a babyface, and this is something Cornette talks a lot about. When you're a babyface doing a comeback. You should be able to pretty much just stand in the middle of the ring and the heels should feed to you. And I think yeah. that's what they were trying to do. But Horner being Horner, he like put people in the corner and then he was running back and forth. And it just it didn't come off as a comeback. It it just fizzled. Yeah, uh, it's uh, I'm not going to talk about Horner, <laughs> but he's he he does too much for what he's trying to do. Yeah. But, it's uh, the easiest way to explain it. I mean, he, like you, like 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 Cornette said, just but the, you know, you as the baby faces get fed the heels, and they yeah. come they come charging at you, and you, you hip toss them down, you drop kick them away, stuff like that. You body slam, hip toss you don't need one, to be doing too much, elbow one or punch one, uh, maybe uh, you know, do a backdrop to another guy, then do something that involves a little bit more than just one or two moves. But you should be able to just get away with just you know punching people or hip tossing people like you said it's very simple little moves and then they'll go back to the quarter then the other guy will come in and then the next guy you know a good heel team knows how to feed and i'm sorry windham and anderson know how to feed that's one of the things yeah. i love about pretty deadly is if you watch their matches they're on nxt uh if you watch their matches they feed so well for the babyface comeback like they are constantly like and the way they do it is they'll get hit and they'll like stumble backwards and shake their head and the other guy will go and he'll get his move done on him and then they'll be like oh yeah i gotta attack this guy and they'll come back at him it just it it looks seamless yeah but not in a contrived or a planned out way it looks like it's just happening but it's not just i don't know it looks like wrestling's supposed to look to me right um Tim Horner does get that that cool looking pin, but the ref is distracted, and then Sid comes out, and then Sting and Orndorf come out, and the whole match is whatever. <laughs> Again, a great great performance by uh, Brad Armstrong, uh, Wyndham, and Anderson. Tim Horner was also there, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's really all I have to say. Anything else you want to add about that match? I know you said you didn't write a lot I think of notes. You on that one pretty well. The next one we have, or the next one I have. Sorry, I put these in order of order I wanted to talk ab about them. Is that all right? 
Yeah, that's fine. Okay. okay. You're you're the boss. <laughs> well, I know, but this is also kind of your show. This is your this is your baby. I'm just helping deliver yeah. it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so the next one I want to talk about cuz this one I didn't take a lot of notes on cuz there's not mu- that much to it was uh uh Brad Armstrong as part of the Freebirds as Bad Street versus Brian Pillman. And this is another case I think not a bad gimmick, actually. Brad Armstrong is part of the Freebirds. Um, I think you could have done it without the face mask, though. I think, or without oh. the whole gimmick. I think you could have just done it as Brad wants to Brad be Armstrong. a badass part of the fucking Freebirds. You know? Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out what this character is supposed to be. Is this like the mascot for Bad for Bad Street? Like, yeah, what is exactly? He? I, I'm not. I'm not sure why he's under a mask, other than maybe they want him to pull double duty sometime. You know, well, he can be that's... Brad Armstrong one match and Bad Street the other. That's probably but, what it was. I mean, to me, this was like a great encounter with Pillman. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for what it, you know, for what it was, and, like, and the whole, I like to give give an idea of where I was going with this is because it's hard to put together a top ten ma- ten uh, match with Brad because a lot of footage, a lot of his better footage, yeah, again yeah. as we talked about was it's basically lost yeah we can talk about it but again we're just we'd be talking about it from like secondhand thirdhand stories well you'd have to call Cornette and be like hey jim Cornette, i need to go through the smoky mountain wrestling archives to get footage of brad armstrong (laughs) because it's not on youtube anywhere i I think he would appreciate that though i honestly do i think he would be like okay yes i will i will lend you the tapes you know what we should send in uh we should start sending in uh emails to corny drive through asking him uh, about Brad Armstrong and Brad Armstrong's tapes, and if they'll ever be up on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's why not? Like that is really probably the best singles period of his whole career is being part of Smoky Mountain. Yeah, you know. So anyway, I'm sorry. We'll get back to. Yeah, and, and the reason, but so what I was going for with this was just like hidden gems uh-huh. for him, matches that you may not be familiar with. And the reason I included this was, okay, yes, Brad's working as a heel, but he's working as a heel cruiser rate who yeah. can take yeah. to the air. Yeah. And, you know, like like a lot of what you see in today's wrestling is, and I'm not going to use examples. I'm, I'm not going to use names, mostly because they're in that company I don't really like watching, and I don't remember all their names because they're so, <laughs> they're so generic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's not because I'm trying to protect them. It's just I don't remember their names. But I, I might. One, of the, one, of the, one of the biggest complaints everybody has is, okay, you're supposed to be the bad guy. You're supposed to be the heel. And yet you're going up for a corkscrew 360 plancha that's yes. going to make the crowd go ooh and ah. And you're supposed to be the bad guy and you're outshining the face. Yep. Who then has to go up and do a you know, 720 suicide dive over the top rope onto mm-hmm. a flaming table yeah, to get exactly. that face pop. Yeah. Exactly. Brad didn't have to do that here. No. He, you know, he played the key. He, he wrestled a cruiserweight style. As but a heel. he kept it within heel tactics. Mm-hmm. I mean, look when he went for that um, um, missile drop. Uh, when, okay, so uh, there's one sequence, and I'm getting out of order in this match. I, don't, I know we usually have to go through the match chronologically. You're fine. You're fine. But there's a, there's a segment where he gets a little offense. He creates separation with Pillman. And then he goes to he goes to do a top rope move. Okay. Yeah. He plays to the crowd as if like, look what I'm gonna do. I'm, but it's not like 
playing to the crowd of, you know, come cheer for me. It's look what I'm going to do to your man right now. Yeah. Look yeah. What, you know, like, and, and then he goes to the top, but Pillman cuts him off, throws him off. But it still was a, you know, a, an attempt at a high risk move. Well, even the being thrown off the way he was thrown off and the way Pillman jumped up to throw him off was, uh, was more cruiserweight than heavyweight. True. You know That's what I true. mean? Yeah, and didn't then, didn't Pillman like a little bit after that se- se- uh, sequence? Didn't Pillman, Pillman goes up for a missile dropkick? Brad meets him with, a, with his own dropkick. Yes, that's right. I remember that. Yeah, that was part I was I was thinking about when Brad dropkicks Pillman off of the top of off of the top turnbuckle. I was like, holy yeah. crap! Like, oh yeah, and you don't see that. Yeah, that's a, that's a reversal you don't don't see anymore with him or uh, with anybody. But but uh, I mean, that, yeah. and that's a cruiserweight style move. But mm-hmm. it's a heel move. Mm-hmm. Because you're stopping a guy from doing something super impressive. Yes, you're doing something impressive yourself, but we don't want to see you do impressive stuff. We want to hate you. So, yeah, exactly. You know. So, and that's why I included this match because it's like you don't see this kind of in ring um, psychology from today's generation of wrestlers. Mm-hmm. It's just let me get my spot in. Oh, yeah. It well, may not make sense. I may be playing the bad guy, but, you know, I got to go to the top rope and hit my move. Oh yeah. Well, there was a nice. There's a nice sequence in the beginning where Brad does something really impressive, and then he starts strutting around the ring like Jeff Jarrett or Ric Flair. You know what I mean? As Bad Street, because and I was like, that's that's good stuff right there. Because you know, anytime you can like rub it in the audience's face that you just you know did something really cool to their the guy that they obviously and Pillman's coming back from suspension or injury or whatever it was injury I mean, yeah. it, was. it may have been a it may have been a character injury but he was according to the people it was injury yeah oh I thought it was a I thought it was a suspension anyway reinstated he's been reinstated that's right that's what they were saying yeah. so yeah <clears throat> but yeah like uh that was good there was one spot that was good, but nasty. Um, was that uh, the suplex onto the outside? Oh yeah, that was scary. Like that was like a little legit scary. I was like, "Ooh, you guys!" That was that had <coughs> no offense, but that had to be a Pillman. Like, let's do this because he was a little reckless anyway. But uh, that was whew, the suplex on the outside, and then Pillman's dive where he dove and he like went the, right yeah, through Armstrong. <laughs> He basically he didn't miss Brad. He went through Brad. Yeah, he went through he him. Hit Brad so hard that he kept that his momentum just kept going. Like Brad caught him, but it was just you know just too much, too much, <laughs> too much. But yeah, it's, he almost ended up face first in the steel barricade. Like the only thing yeah. that saved him was him putting his arms out and pushing yeah. the barricade with his arms before his face could hit it. Yeah, but um, yeah, the healing was good. Uh, Pillman hits the uh, there's a crossbody off the top. Pillman ends up with the win. I mean, in all essence, if you really look at it, it was a bit of a glorified squash match because Brad didn't get much sustained offense in. Right. But he made Pillman look like a million dollars and he got enough heel work in to get the crowd really behind Pillman, which they were behind him beforehand. But by the end of the match, they're like on their feet about it. So good job, Brad Armstrong. To bring up because a lot of you know you talk about um you know what brad does to get people behind pillman yeah you don't see that in a lot of today's matches where the i mean maybe kevin owens does it but when he works as a heel mm-hmm. but you're not seeing them like okay my job is to help the face get over here yeah. or my job is to help get the comeback they're not i mean i think ftr does it 
occasion, you know, in their matches when I occasionally watch them now. But they're not, they're, it's, it's, it's almost a lost art where it's designed to like, they're, they're not telling a story in, yeah. in these matches anymore. It's just, a, it's literally just a spot fest. And like one thing I noticed about Brad watching these matches all back to back, he, I don't know if it's him making the call or his opponents, but you see a lot of rule of three in these mm. matches. So in this match, like with that Pillman spot, yeah. where he's suplexed over the ropes, um, you know, Bad Street goes for the suplex, it's blocked. Pillman goes for the suplex, it's blocked. Okay, that's two in a row where you you get like the, yeah. the suplex segment. Okay, what's the third one going to be? Yeah, you don't expect Pillman to be dumped over the top. Yeah, that's the least the last thing you expect. Yeah, and yet it's and it's it's perfectly written. It's a perfectly logical logical sequence in that rule three. Mm-hmm. And it and allows it Brad Armstrong to get the the heel work in on Pillman on the outside because, by God, the man just took a suplex onto the floor and now yeah. you're beating the crap out of him even more. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, I agree. Give me just a, uh, just a second. I've got to yeah. run and get another beverage. No problem. I really, I really need to get like a little mini fridge or like a little cooler that I can just put in my drawer here by my, in my desk <laughs> for when I'm doing the, when I'm doing these. So I can just be like, oh, okay, here's another, here's another drink. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm investing that one, one myself. <laughs> just easier that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would be, you know. I guess Corny must have one because he's always opening Sprite Zeros in the middle of his. So anyway, um, on to the next one. And this is the only title match of the ones that we have. Uh, yes. Brad Armstrong versus Barry Windham for the United States Championship. Um, I loved this match. <laughs> it was extremely good. And when you when you chase it with the Bobby Eaton match... You watch. Mm -hmm. You have two different stories being told, and it's incredible. It, I mean, even though Brad loses both, because that's. I mean, we're not gonna. Sh that, that's not a spoiler. He's he's, you know, he's basically enhancement talent throughout the years. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, he's... this match was like you talked about, where in the tag match, they must have had respect for him to let him have that much sustained offense. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hello? Hello? Did I lose you? With, you know, with takedowns. Oh, okay. And Wyndham just ducks out every time. And, you know, the announcers give a good job of saying, oh, it's because he's trying to slow the pace down, and get, you know, get him, uh, you know, and, and make, get in Brad's head. But, yeah. I mean, this is, this is a sustained, uh, I guess, storyline in this match where, you know, Brad, Barry gets in, Brad, dumps, you know, takes him down. Yeah. Gary gets frustrated, leaves the ring. Yeah, it's it, it, and it's a it's a long sequence, but it's you know it's oh it will it's beautifully told by both of them because Brett because Barry is <laughs> not just leaving the ring; he's throwing you know he's he's visibly upset. He's oh, yeah. he's got his well and Barry scowl on his face. I mean, he he knows what he's doing. He's not just going out and taking oh, yeah. a breather. He's going out and selling. You know, he's frustrated or oh, that yeah. he's like underestimating he underestimated Brad. And and Barry had just turned heel here too. 
Yeah. So, like, you obviously, you had the people, you saw the sons and the audience, you know, Barry's a traitor, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, there's still some people that are going to cheer for a guy when he turns heel just because. You know what I mean? Because they still yeah. like him. And Brad did a good job. And Barry does it. Yeah, the, the, that whole sequence where Barry would roll out of the ring because Brad would get the upper hand. And, yeah. you know, he talked to J.J. Dillon. And there were times where he wouldn't even go out of the ring. He would just back up into the ropes or put his body through the ropes, you know, to break the exactly. hole and break, break Brad's momentum. Um, I thought Brad used his power a lot really early in the match, which was good. Nice to see yeah. Pat Brad use you wrestle as a power wrestler a little bit. Um, the and there's a series of these throughout the match, but that that headlock takedown where he yes, jumps up and Barry like basically holds him like a child, and then he uses his momentum to take Barry all the way over and down to into into a headlock. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he uses the turnbuckle. turnbuckle too. Mm-hmm. And again, that's the rule of three too because he does it twice. And then and the, the third, third one, Barry's able to finally counter it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that move was fantastic. Uh, Barry yeah. healed great, like you were saying. Brad selling Barry's punches. This oh, is... yeah. I mean, Brad, it looks like he's getting, you know, just the hell beat out of him. Oh, yeah. Every from Barry's, time from, from Barry's fist. Every time Barry hits one of those punches and Brad takes like two steps back and both of his knees kind of bend and he kind of sways a little bit. Like yeah. you don't see people do that anymore from a punch or no. anything like that. And it's like, it's one of those things that like, yeah, it, it, it's not super fast paced, but it makes it look believable. It makes it register in your mind. It's holy shit. Like that guy's getting fucking punched, you know, yeah. not just, you know, a series of forearms that don't register at all. And then you give the guy a series of forearms and then you both drop down. Like that's, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, There was a spot there. uh, Brad sold the figure four really great, which was fantastic. I love this. I love the referee counting when his arms would go down, when his shoulders would go down to the mat. Yeah. Because that you never see that. Uh, Not anymore. Used to be. Well, yeah, that's how, they talk about Flair winning with the figure four all the time. He didn't win with the figure four nine times out of ten because the guy gave up. He went. He won because he outlasted the guy uh, cardiovascularly. You know, his he still the other guy was super winded and just couldn't hold his shoulders up in the figure four. You know, yeah. he won a lot of matches by pinfall via figure four. So yeah, no, yeah. I, I I don't remember. I I mean. Granted, I didn't watch a lot of early Flair because I just I, I wasn't alive for that. Mm-hmm. But I remember if he won with the figure four, it's because his opponent was passed out. Yeah. Um, so, Flair I mean, for or, whatever reason, whether it was a cheap shot with a brass knuck or he just couldn't reverse it in time, yeah. there was rarely a tap out. The only the only tap outs I remember is when he joined the WWE as you know in, in his later part of his career with Evolution. Yeah. Yeah, he would get tap outs there. Well, there will there would be like if the baby face it was kind of an underneath baby face, they had already worked over the leg at a different at a different like like let's say, you know, last week in Greenville, they uh they attacked the guy and, and messed up his knee real bad. You know, and then like so this week in Charlotte at the match, Flair got the uh got the figure four on him and the guy tapped out. 
you know, yeah. it, but it was it was a story. It was built into the storyline. It wasn't just like, or if it was like a super jobber guy, maybe. But most of the time, Flair didn't even bother putting the figure four on them because he never wrestled on TV anyway. You know, yeah. he was the damn champion. Like he was too busy flying to every territory that was still around to defend the title every week. Anyway, um, so oh, uh, Brad got caught in the ropes. I thought that was actually, I thought they did a really good job with that because you could tell he was supposed to go through the ropes to the outside, Yeah, but he didn't. And he kind of laid on the bottom and then Barry kicked him to the outside, which I thought it actually ended up looking a little bit better because it, it looked like Barry. Looking. What was that? It was more brutal looking. Yeah. More like Barry just like, fuck this guy. Um, exactly. Brad did a good job selling the damage from the figure four though. He limped a lot. And towards the end of this yeah. match until he started making his comeback, which of course that's what you do. Great comeback too. Like just the crowd was into it, man. They were feeling Brad Armstrong winning this match big time. And uh did he get the he didn't get the Russian leg sweep on Barry? Did he? No, I think I noticed a lot in his matches that if he wasn't going for the Russian leg sweep leg sweep, he was doing this crossbody um, dual crossbody sequence for for like a three count, okay, or for an attempted three count where he would hit the crossbody, get a, a top rope crossbody, hit get the you know get a pin, uh, two counts, then immediately jump up and try to for a second one, and yeah. that's when things go south for him. But that was like his signature move at that point. If he wasn't gonna hit the right leg sweep, at least yeah. he would hit that sequence. Yeah, and there's which did he do it in the. I don't think he did in the other match. There might be another. I might have it marked down here. But anyway, Barry ends up getting the claw and the pin for the win. Uh, yeah. I remember that sequence being really quick, though. Like, really good. Oh, like, uh, what was Brad was doing? He was going for something. It was the cross body. That was, that was the sequence oh. I just described. It was that okay. whole, like, you know, Brad got up. Hit, came, he got his comeback at that point. Was drop kick, got, gut punch, knee lift that he normally does. So, mm -hmm. so it's like, if he was... uh. In a WWE, you know, 2K game right now, that would be his comeback special. Yeah, and then he goes for his top rope body press, gets the two count, and then immediately pops back up, goes for the other. But, um, you know, Wyndham did that roll um, that he catches him, but rolls That's through right. with him. Yes, and, and then, then immediately right into the floor hold. Yes, that was good, man. That was really, really well done. Like, yeah. just the. Just because again, it was seamless. Like it was one of those. That was another one I watched. Like. I had to watch like two or three times just to be like, wow, that was so good. Cause yeah. you know, usually when the guy does a roll through on a crossbody, it's just for a pin, but to roll through through the crossbody, pick the guy up and then put the claw on him and put him back down on the mat was really like, holy crap. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, the, this entire match though, I mean, it was just great. The, mm -hmm. Just great at getting the crowd involved. Oh Yeah. I mean, from JJ holding Barry's hands during the um, um, the figure four. Yep. I mean, what what made it work is that you had Brad selling it. Yeah. You had Brad going crazy while it was happening, and Barry was doing the same thing. But the referee had no, no choice but to look at Brad. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, this guy's in pain. Is he going to tap? I can't look away because I have. A duty to make sure that and if he's it, it, yes, if he I taps fell. or if his shoulders go down, I've got to crawl him out for a pin. I can't be looking at Barry. It wasn't, yeah. you know. And then of course he would look over and like 
JJ's right there, and the referee's, you know, you can't make the referee look completely stupid, so he's got to eventually catch Barry doing it, which yeah, he does, yeah. you know, and then that breaks the hold, but by then the damage is done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, fantastic yeah, that, match. That gets, that gets the crowd going, and, and it makes everybody look, you know, competent. Because you have, you know, mm-hmm. JJ's doing it to the point where, you know, he's doing it in a way that he can't be caught. The ref is in out of position for a reason. You go back to today's standards, the ref isn't, you know, like, a lot of wrestlers aren't selling that figure four. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're grimacing in pain, but they're not doing something that's really going to keep the focus away from the ref, you know. Yeah. Having ADD for a second, looking elsewhere. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's it, you're suspending your disbelief, of course, because uh, you know it's a performance, but you're really you know, you're really suspending it a lot. Yeah, because you know, if I'm a ref and I see a man just you know grimacing, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna be checking everything around me, you know, make sure nothing's going on. But if he's flailing his arms, you know, screaming in pain, because uh, you know that's gonna keep my it's gonna keep my attention there. Yeah, I I got gotcha. you. Like I could. I can uh, uh, I can suspend disbelief to believe Daniel Craig is 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 a badass hand to hand combat fighter. I'm not going to suspend disbelief to think that Jeff Goldblum sm- wants to smoke a cigar after inter inter space travel. Yeah, <laughs> you know there's exactly. there's there's levels to it here. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and this is another thing because uh, Wyndham is another one of these guys that I feel like is so overlooked as far as how good he was in the ring, especially during this period, this late eighties, early nineties period, Barry Windham. It was just amazing because he's so athletic, but he's so big that like, like I tell people like when he goes, he, when he does a diving forearm, like his whole body takes up like half the ring anyway. So it looks like he just flies from one end of the ring to the other it just, it, I don't know. It's cool looking. Oh yeah, no, it, it's 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 better than cool. It's it's just impressive. It mm-hmm. looks so like it looks like you're getting hit by a train when he does his moves. Yes, <clears throat> you know. But uh, moving on, moving on. This is uh, of course, this is the one that got everybody talking about Brad Armstrong the other day on Twitter. If anybody uh, anybody listening was was around for that. It was pretty cool to hear all these people talking great about Brad Armstrong, though, which is kind of yeah. why I was like, well, we really need to pull the trigger on this because I'm glad we finally did. <laughs> um, this is Brad Armstrong versus uh, the great Muda and a two out of three falls match. Mm. Sorry, I'm getting a little stuffy. Um, okay. this, good. this was fantastic. This is one of Muda's uh, first u.s television premiere appearances yeah if i remember correctly um yeah i I don't know if it's exact first but it was it was definitely one of his earlier ones yeah Um, he's definitely i mean the way they the way they produced this match they were definitely trying to give off the impression that muda was rightfully you know rightfully a you know threat a superstar yeah you know like he was going to be a big he is he is a big deal yes Yes, they presented it like a big deal. And yeah. uh, and I'm going to say something because I don't know what anybody else thinks about this. I enjoyed Ricky Rackman on the uh, on the commentary. Uh, you know, I'm going to say it too. I did too. Like, because I watched a little bit of the beginning of this 
you know, when it first came on in the interview with Arn Anderson and stuff. And I was like, yeah. this guy obviously really does enjoy wrestling. Like you could tell, like he wasn't just there to plug headbangers ball. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, cause you could, you can tell pretty quickly. Cause there's, what was it? Uh, Elvira was a guest commentator on, on something. I think it was one of the WrestleManias. It was like WrestleMania two or three. Yeah. And it was just like, this woman doesn't enjoy wrestling. She, she's here for, uh, 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 you know, a performance because she's getting paid. She doesn't care about professional wrestling. This was like, this guy's kind of a fan. Like he probably, he might not watch every week, but when he said that he's seen Muda do, do crazy stuff, I, I feel like he meant that. Like he actually watched Japan tapes. (laughs) So, uh, good for, good for you, Ricky Rackman. (laughs) I actually am going to go back and watch that whole episode to see how he does during the rest of it. Um, anyway, uh, so he's, uh, this was, okay, now give me the background. You said this the other day, this was all called in the ring and on the fly. Yeah. So what, I don't remember who his scheduled opponent was supposed to be, but, and I, and I tried finding the information, um, online, but I couldn't find it. No. He was supposed to face someone else. The guy no showed for whatever reason. Like either he missed his flight or he just didn't want to put Muda, Muda over. I don't know. And I, and I don't want to speculate too much. But they basically had 10 minutes to come up with a match. Holy shit. And Brad was picked to, you know, perform with Muda. And it was done because Brad had wrestled in Japan before. So Brad was familiar with the Japanese style and mm. he could call things in the match with Muda because I guess they could have a. I don't know if Brad was fluent and you know. Well, he might. If he had wrestled in Japan, he at least knew enough Japanese to call the spots. Exactly. Or or so, how to call the spots, you know. Yeah. So they basically came up with this match on the fly. I mean, they had ten minutes to basically go over the idea. Yeah. And you know, to me, it's like okay. So like, I was thinking in my head when. I don't remember what happened on this spot, but I know Balor and AJ basic, I think it was someone got sick or someone missed a flight or something, but AJ had a fill in for bat for Balor's opponents. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, they, they, they called that match basically on the fly. Cause you know, there, there was a last minute thing, yeah. but this was a match between, you know, two guys who didn't speak the same language or if they did, it was very, you know, remedial. Yeah. And, yeah they had to call the match 10 minutes without like, you know, without having much prep time. And to me, it's one of Brad's best matches. It's technically, you know, it's a technical match. It's not, I, I don't know. I may be calling a technical masterpiece, maybe too much, but it is, is it is technically sound. It's a very technical match. I liked the way the guy put it on Twitter the other day that Brad, that Brad's Southern style mixed with Muda's Japanese style very well. Yeah. I mean, they did a, it was a great it was great on the mat when Muda got to the striking portion it wasn't out of place yeah it made sense and it just was the flow of the match was just incredible i hate the fact that he went down 2 and up yeah cuz it was a 2 out of 3 match yeah um but it, it was you know i have a feeling that was a time when it was just, it was great though but also like if you're going to sorry go ahead no go ahead if you're going to put Muda over, he has to win, you know, two to nothing, unfortunately, yeah. 
Because if it was like if Muda had been around for a while, then he probably they could have gone to three falls. But because yeah. you're introducing this guy, he's got to look dominant, but not like you didn't want it to be. This obviously wasn't meant to be a squash match. It was meant to be a feature match, which is why, you know, it went as long as it did. But yeah, yeah it, no. it just it the whole thing, like called in the ring, like you said. And see, that's another thing. I'd love to see some of uh, Brad's work in Japan, but. But we can't how, find the videos. Yeah, how much of that is still around, you know? Um, but yeah, the, I love the the test is the test of strength sequence was fantastic, perfect. Yeah, um, I love the fact that they had a slow start, like a two yes. out of three falls match. They they kept it slow at the start. Um, the figure four headlock that uh, uh, Muda put Brad in was just like. I hadn't seen anything like it's not that I haven't seen anything like that, but it was really, really well done. Like Brad sold the crap out of it. Muda was like just sitting there very stoic with it. Yeah. And then um I forget how Brad countered it, but I have counter written here. How did he get out of that figure four headlock? Let me see. I'm trying to look at my notes too. <laughs> um let's see. Okay, so from okay now I'm remembering it. So my recollection of that is that he just keeps Brad keeps repositioning himself. Yeah. Until yeah. he can get in a until his knees are on the mat and he's um in a wrestling stance, I guess. Yeah. And he is able to lock Muda into a. The first time he does it, he locks him in a half version of the regal stretch, like he puts his. He crosses mm -hmm. the legs and puts on a leg bar. That's basically. it. And yeah. then the second time he does, he gets out of the figure four um, head scissors. He completes the regal stretch. That's right. That's right. I remember that because I was like, God, that's such a cool counter to that move. Like, yeah. And it was, again, like, it was just like when you pointed out that sequence where he floats over into the arm bar from, from the arm, from the, he gets in the arm bar, gets thrown into an arm drive, but still, still is able to maintain the hold. Mm -hmm. It's one of those smooth sequences where you you have to watch and really pay attention to how he got there. Mm -hmm. It was just it's a, it's a seamless transition because I mean you I mean in my mind I can't think of how you go from being in a leg scissor and a head scissor yeah and you transition it into it into you reverse it into a leg lock basically yeah that's and you do it in a way that doesn't look you know. Um, that the, there's awkward. no and there's no obvious cooperation it looks like the other person is actually fighting you to not yeah. have that happen uh, exactly yeah they uh yeah that the uh, uh i just i i couldn't write everyone down because there were so many of them i put some really cool takedowns and counters and this yeah. this first this first part of this match is just the pacing is amazing because they do exactly what I want more people to do where, yeah, they'll have a little burst of like back and forth, but then it's cause somebody grabs a hold and it's right back into the hole, right back down to the mat. You know what yeah. I mean? And, uh, you know, then somebody will get out of it and they'll get a little separation, but then the other person reverses it and right back down into the arm bar or the side headlock or, you know, something like that where, you know, you get these little tastes of what's going to be coming, but, 
but they're like just little teases and then they you know shut everything back down because this is two out of three falls match you don't know how long this match is going to go so let's keep it you know keep it slow in the beginning so that in the end when you pick it up it actually means something and you're like holy crap what are these guys doing you know yeah um brackman put muda over really bar um I love the fact that Brad in this match made an arm bar a big move. <laughs> Don't know how to put it any better than that. Like there's, I think there's a sequence where he gets the arm bar on Muda and he just like twists the crap out of it. It makes it look like Muda is just like, I don't know. Was that? Yeah, that had to be Brad on Muda. Cause I don't think Muda would use yeah. an arm bar. Yeah. No, it was, it was, um, there was a, uh, uh, I put so much chemistry here because they did. They had instant chemistry in this match. Like you could tell that these guys were enjoying working this match. Uh, yeah. I mean, they faced each other before in Japan. Yeah. God. This, yeah. I think this was only their second match, though. So, I mean, it's not like they were unfamiliar. And that, that was probably why they just threw Brad into that match. But well, I'm glad they did because it's forever, you know. It, this is this is going to be one of those matches that's going to come up every few years, and people will maybe rediscover Brad Armstrong. Maybe not. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, but let's see. Oh, uh, there's a uh, um, uh, the side the the side headlock into the hammerlock, uh, transition was fantastic. I don't remember exactly how it happened. It was, uh, I think Muda had Brad in a side headlock. And Brad got out of the side headlock and put Muda in a hammerlock, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Which yeah. was just, again, it's one of those things you don't, you know, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, this is wrestling moves. But I'm like, they, it, it meant, in this match, it meant something and it looked really cool. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to put it any better than that. Well, it looked really cool also because you don't see, I mean, I'm sure it looked really cool back then too. But if you're looking at it from today's perspective, it looked cool because you're not seeing obvious cooperation. Yeah. They're literally, I don't know if it was because they were just calling it on the fly every time yeah. or if it was just the way they, the style, the way their styles were meshing. But I think you it's see them forcing, basically almost forcing themselves to get into a position. Yeah. By, but I don't want to, I don't want to say it. They're basically almost actually contorting their opponent's body. Yes, yes. They're 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 taking it. It's not a shoot, but they're taking it as close to a shoot as you can get it without being a shoot. Right. If that makes I sense. Mean, there's obvious cooperation because I think if you resisted on some of these moves, you could risk you know a break of some well, sort. I mean, there were guys. Ronnie Garvin was one of them. Where if you didn't, if you didn't cooperate but make it look like you weren't cooperating with, you know what I mean? Where if you got yeah. out of line with Ronnie Garvin, he would break your arm or, or snap your, you know, snap your shoulder out of socket or something because well, it probably wouldn't break your arm. Cause that would affect your ability to work, but he would, you know, he, he'd put your, he'd put your shoulder out of socket or something like that. Yeah, he'd stretch you. Yeah. He would stretch you. He would legit stretch you because you had to know, you know, back then how to, how to let somebody do this to you, but not make it look like they were, you were letting them do it. Yeah. You know, that was, just you, the style. you know, and, and I think also a lot of this looks really cool because anymore, when you get wrestling sequences, 
in the ring, they're all like a guy grabs a hold sequence, you know, reverse to another hole, reverse to another hole, reverse to another hole, reverse to another hole. Both guys stand up. It's not, you know, side headlock. Wait, wait, start squirming, start squirming, get out of it. Hammer lock. All, all know I'm in a hammer lock. Squirm, 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 get to the rope. You know what I mean? Like they would actually sit in these holds for a while and make it look like they were doing something as opposed to, you know, now a guy grabs a side headlock. The other guy puts him in a head scissors and the guy immediately kicks out of the head scissors and they're both standing up again. It's like, well, why did you even do that? Like, what was the point of that sequence? If, you know, neither guy's going to get over in any way on it. Exactly. Does that, you, you see what I'm saying? Like slow it down. Let, let, let a guy be in, in a side headlock or a head scissors or something long enough for it to like register, register like, Holy shit. Especially if you're up against a dude that has like much bigger legs than you, or is much more flexible than you. They where he could do like the, the figure four headlock, which is looks fantastic. You know, if I put yeah. that on somebody and they just immediately kicked out of it, I would be fucking pissed off. I'd be like, God damn, that's a good looking fucking move. What are you doing? Exactly. And like, you know, going off of what you're saying, you, I know what sequence you're describing when it's the, you know, like I go, I, I take you down with a headlock, you put me in a, in, a, in a head scissor and then we pop up. I can't tell you who did them. I know what happens. I know it's very common. Yeah. But you tell me, oh, remember Muda's figure four headlock transitioned out by Brad, uh, um, and, you know, they applied to Brad Armstrong. I can still, and I, haven't, I didn't see this match for a week. Yeah. I can still see Brad reversing into that leg bar arm, that mm-hmm. leg bar uh, move. Yep. It's, so. you know, it's, it's, it, you, cause it, you let it sit in the memory of the short term memory of your audience so that it eventually hits the long term memory. Mm-hmm. You're just going through today, you're just going through the fast paces of like, okay, well, you just did it. That's, that's cool. I guess that you can flip out of something. But, well, oh, yeah. It's not really like, it's not going to be like, it's not going to be something long term that I'm going to remember. No, and Cornette talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It might have been a couple of months ago at this point, where he was talking about guys don't know why they do stuff in the ring anymore. Like the uh, when you shoot a guy to the ropes and then you, uh, you know, or a guy shoots you into the ropes and then they drop down and then they leapfrog yeah. you. You see what I'm saying? Like they don't understand. Like, well, you shoot a guy into the ropes. And then you drop down. Well, he's going to get confused. He's going to go hit the ropes again, thinking, oh, I'm going to get him with this lariat. Then you leapfrog him. And he's like, oh, well, where is, where's my opponent now? He turns around and then you hit him with a punch. You see what I mean? They don't understand that there's a reason you do the things you do in the ring. They're just doing these things because that's the things they've seen everybody else do. Yes. (laughs) You know, uh, uh <laughs> young bucks <laughs> you, <laughs> you okay <know>. sorry <laughs> omega um sorry i don't know what's wrong with me today <laughs> hey oh, adam page <laughs> just, just i think you gotta cough up the AEW roster at this point <laughs> <laughs> oh now i can't say anything i can't 
Omega had a pretty decent match with Jeff Cobb last night. I will say that much. It was, I don't know if it was just the Jeff Cobb said, I'm not doing a bunch of your stupid phony bullshit or what, but it was actually a pretty decent match. I enjoyed it. So kudos to Jeff Cobb for getting a good match out of Twinkle Toes. <laughs> but um, we'll go Twinkle Toes. So Muda wins with wins the first fall with an inside cradle. Yeah. Um, now the next now when they the next fall, both of these guys are selling like uh, you know what I mean like they're both looking like they've been through war, which is good. That's what you're supposed to look at this point in this match. You yeah. know what I mean? You're supposed like, to be favoring your leg and arm that's been you know mm-hmm. stretched to the point uh, where it's you know it, it's one. <laughs> good twist away from being like separated you know uh buddha's got the advantage on brad brad keeps coming back he keeps fighting back but eventually the springboard elbow and the moonsault Muda gets the pin in the win yeah and i mean you, there's nothing you can do brad gave Muda a great match and made him look like a fucking million dollars <laughs> you know what i mean and in return yeah. uh Muda really like gave brad a lot you know what i mean he gave him as much as he could probably given the circumstances that he knew he had to go over big um of course muda has the best springboard elbow anyone's ever had ever in the entire business because goddamn, when he comes when he hands when he does the handspring and then he comes back it's like he's not really it's not even the elbow it's just the impact of his body into the guy in the corner that really sells it. You know what I mean? Cause he gets so much height off of that handspring. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it does. So it's not like he's trying to hit a specific spot on the person or in the ropes. Cause a lot of people do that move or do move similar to that. And you can tell that they're trying to hit a spot. You know what I mean? Like they're not just kind of, you just kind of kind of throw yourself at the other person and hope that they'll be there. Because that's, you know, that's the name of the game. You got to trust your opponent. But, and of course, the moonsault always looked good for Muda. Part of it yeah. because he would put the guy almost in the middle of the damn ring and then do a fucking moonsault, <laughs> you yeah. know, which is probably the reason why, uh, uh, who is it? EO Shirai. That's the one thing she does really well is the moonsault because she doesn't, she doesn't go up as much as she goes out with it. So it looks more impressive because she covers more distance. You know right. what I mean? But, uh, yeah, great match. Great match. Great Muda, Armstrong. If you have never watched that match, go back and watch it. Go back and watch all of these matches. Well, maybe not the tag match because that was yeah. – that's on YouTube anyway. you got to search that out. The rest of these are on the uh, on the network. If you were, if you have never seen a Red Armstrong match before and you saw that match, you would have thought he was a main event wrestler. Yes. I mean – even even the first fall, mm-hmm. it wasn't like Buddha hit him with a finish. It was, you know, feeling from the rule of three again. It was first he reversed the crossbody, yep. got a two count. Then he put an inside cradle for a two count. Then he hit a third inside, a second inside cradle, and finally got the three. Well, yeah, and it was and back was and just, forth. That was just an endurance thing at that point. Brad kept kicking out, and he just, you know, he it's like you said with Flair. Yeah, it was yeah. you know at that point Buddha just outlasted him for that first fall. Well, yeah, and also like it was, it was back and forth and was exciting. It wasn't like it was just an inside cradle out of nowhere, like yes, you know what I mean. He just didn't yeah. roll him up with a schoolboy, like 
boom, there's the first match flat as a pancake. It was, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was, it, it got very action packed towards the end of it. We didn't talk about it because the action was so damn fast. You couldn't write about it. You know what I mean? Like we'd, hey, you'd literally course. have to like, they do a move. You'd have to pause it, write down the move do, or create some sort of shorthand. I don't know how yeah. Cornette does it when he, well, he knows all these sequences though, back like the back of his hand because he was in the business for so long that he probably, you know, arm drag, uh, arm drag, head scissor or arm drag, headlock, head scissors, you know, cross body, <laughs> shoot me off, drop down, leapfrog, backdrop. You, you know what I mean? Like he knows all of yeah. these sequences, like the back of his ha hand. I don't, you know, I'm just trying to keep up. <laughs> but speaking of Jim Cornette, the next match, which of course is my favorite of the bunch because it has my favorite wrestler, my favorite guy that is uh, completely, I mean, I guess guys talk about him now. It's more wrestlers though. You don't get as many fans talking about, uh, about Bobby as you do other wrestlers. Anybody who's ever wrestled, like they're always like, oh, Bobby Eaton was probably one of the best to ever do it. You know, so these are you have two of the best to ever be in the ring. And Jim Court, Jim Ross, for his credit, says it. it. Yeah, at the very beginning of the match, he's like, for my money, this is these are two of the best technical wrestlers, two of the best people, guys in the ring today. <laughs> this is going to be one hell of a match. So. Yeah. But um, anyway. Brad Armstrong versus Bobby Eaton. And. We all know how I feel about Bobby Eaton. <laughs> so, oh, sorry. Let's see. Uh, it's. I thought it was funny when Bobby's coming out for his entrance. It, well, first of all, Brad comes out for his entrance. This was during. Was this during Desert Storm or Desert Shield or whatever? I, I my his. I am not a history buff. Well, they, <laughs> well, they talk about. They talk about. Um, Armstrong's brother being overseas in Iraq. So I imagine that's that's probably uh Brian James would be overseas because he was a Marine. Oorah Brian James, that's why I'll never completely trash you. <laughs> you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, okay, good. Um Let's see. Uh, yeah, so Dusty, the booker, saying that Bobby will win the singles title this year. <laughs> How do you know that, Dusty? <laughs> he also says that uh, uh, Bobby or Brad will try and cut the ring in half. And I'm like, does he not know this isn't a tag match? Yeah, I, I, I was I, I tried to make sense of that statement. And I, I couldn't. So I just kind of ignored Maybe. commentary from that point forward. Maybe he's meant that he would cut the ring in half so that Bobby couldn't get to the top half of the ring. <laughs> that would make sense because that's where Bobby's finish was. So we'll go with that. Either way, yeah. I mean, that's we're gonna give we're gonna give Big Dust the uh, the 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 that credit here. Of course, he did, was also like talking about uh, going to Japan and the sake and all of that. So. I think the, I think Dusty might have 
He was probably on commentary. He's probably a little in his cups too. He's probably like, fuck this. I don't want to do commentary. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, right at the beginning, late towards the beginning of the match, Bobby hits a right hand on Brad and Brad sells it like a, like just death. <laughs> and I was like, yes, thank you. And then Dusty said something about it. Bobby Eaton has a powerful right hand. And I was like, yeah, he does. That's going to be one of his big things. Uh, but then they go back to the arm bar. Uh, Bobby's Bobby's still wrestling heel, even though he's getting cheers from the uh, from the crowd, which yeah. was good. Uh, the arena was pretty half empty, though. I noticed that. So this was definitely dur- not during the good times of WCW. Um, what was it? Oh yeah, the uh, the the move, and I, I think he did this in a couple of the other matches, but this one was really good, where Brad does the walk up the ropes for the crossbody. Where he hits the second rope and then springboards off into the crossbody on Bobby, yeah, that was just fantastic. Like, looked really good here. I think because Bobby knew where to be when he hit it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the I thought the pacing of the match was perfect. Um, what was it? A slingshot reversal. Oh. When, oh yeah, uh, the, yeah. That that I love that sequence. Go ahead he, and talk about that. Bobby was going for the suplex, and I can't. I I thought I can't remember who commentated on it. it might have been Dusty, but he made it seem like Brad forced the slingshot. I think Bobby was going for a slingshot suplex, but he Brad was able to reverse the momentum so that he could, I guess, rotate around to get into the center of the ring to then suplex Bobby. Yes, it was just it, again when you talk about Brad and you have a like you have a, uh, an opponent like Bobby in the ring, it just looks so seamless and fluid, and it was just a great move. Yes, and that's it, like it, 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 it popped the crowd. It popped me. I'm like, what did I just see? That's another one I had to watch a couple of times. Yes, I remember now. He, uh, uh, yeah, he, Bobby went for the slingshot, and Brad slipped out the back door which how he slipped out the back door on a slingshot suplex is completely like his his, his wrestling ability at that point yes because it was like he basically had to completely reverse his body in the air to land behind bobby to then hit bobby with a german wasn't it no it was a regular suplex i think okay so all right okay yeah but, uh, which is more impressive, I think, because yeah. it's like not only did you have to re, because you know when you do the when you do the reverse suplex, it's usually the guy tries to lift him up, yeah. and he's already like taking him over to the back. This one was he's already in a vertical stance, he's already been slingshot up, and somehow he's able to maneuver himself to not only rotate everything, but to also Come grab down. Bobby into, into a vertical suplex. Yes, yeah. That was fantastic. Right after that, that little note I wrote, this needs to be a teaching match. Like if there's anybody out there that knows anybody that teaches wrestling, like at a school, everybody that every expiring wrestler on the face of the planet should watch watch this this match match. Yeah, because it's just, there's no, there's no flaw there. There's nothing like there's nothing. You can't see through any of it. And believe me, I look, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I liked the during the abdominal stretch when Bobby was jaw jacking with the fan in the front row. Oh yeah, I thought that was cool. 
then Bobby does hit the slingshot, but he hits a slingshot backbreaker, which I thought yes. was a fantastic looking move. I was like, I've never seen that in my life. No, that that's some, that was a unique move. I think like you know, I I I, I thought it was like the precursor to the Irish curse that Seamus does. Yes, it's, but it's a it, even then it's a little different. Um, let's see, Brad selling like a champ for Bobby. Gets hung up on the ropes. No, when when Bobby was jawjacking with the fan, I think he had him in an armbar or something or a cross face. That's what it was. It was that modified camel clutch. I oh, remember yeah. now because he had him in that, and there was a guy, there was a, a little black little black guy in the front row that was flipping Bobby off. <laughs> Bobby was jawjacking with him. <laughs> but I was like, you know, if you're gonna play a heel, play a heel. You know, of course, Bobby would be a baby face and a couple, a couple of months later, then turn heel again as part of the dangerous Alliance. But anyway, yeah. Um, which I still think the dangerous Alliance, I need to go back and watch some of their stuff because they're super underrated as far as a, a team goes, especially having Arn and Bobby as a, as a tag team, like goddamn. Yeah, uh, we don't know how they're underrated because they, you know, again, you have two great, I mean, Arn, Arn's a great tag team wrestler. I mean, he's great as a singles character yeah. as a wrestler, but he's also like an excellent tag uh, tag worker. Mm-hmm. And then you pair him with Bobby, who's also like one of the best tag workers ever. How do you not? I mean, I mean it's not like they didn't have chemistry. They had amazing chemistry too yeah. in the ring. So it's like how do how how they don't get the respect they deserve as a team just confuses the hell out of me. But uh, let's see, Brad selling like a champ. Uh, I don't remember getting hung up on the ropes. I don't remember what that spot was. So I'll skip over that. Uh, Bobby puts the abdominal stretch on him, but he's using the ropes to get the extra little leverage. And the referee catches him. Referee goes through his <laughs> through Brad Armstrong's legs to catch him, <laughs> too. I thought that was that was good. I don't remember who the referee was. It was the Pee Wee Anderson. It probably was. It was. Yeah. Okay. He did most of the matches we watched. The only the only the only referee that wasn't Anderson was uh, Teddy Long. Okay, that's right. Um, and that was what the arm was that the Wyndham match? Teddy Long? Teddy Long? Yes. Or was it, yeah, okay. The singles uh, match, not the tag. Yeah. I, usually, I, I usually write a Teddy Long sighting whenever Teddy's, <laughs> Teddy's anywhere near the <laughs> ring because I love Teddy. Um, so do I. He's one, of the, he's one of the greatest. I love him. I, I was so disappointed. I was originally going to go to a wrestling school about three years ago, four years ago, right before the pandemic hit. Yeah. And uh, the lead trainer at the wrestling school was Teddy Long. Really? Yeah. And I was because I wanted to be a referee or a manager. And I was like, God damn, this is perfect. Like, just absolutely yeah. perfect. Like, nobody's going to be give me better advice on how to be a manager than freaking Teddy Long. You know. But yeah, it is what it is. Uh, Brad starts making his comeback. Great comeback. As always, Bobby's bouncing around for him. This is the one match he hits the Russian leg sweep, but Bobby gets his leg on the rope. Yep, but he still gets the two counts. Yeah, but he gets or the two count. Two and a half count. <laughs> but then uh, Bobby ends up, I forget the sequence, but Bobby ends up on the top rope giving him the Alabama jam. Yeah, what, what happened was um, Brad still tries to maintain control in the match, whips him into the corner uh, hard so that Bobby's supposed to bounce out, out of it. Yeah, and Brad does the telegraph back body drop, and Bobby mm-hmm. just hits a swinging neck breaker. Well, of course, that's right. The swinging neck. Well, that's always that's always been his setup to the Alabama yeah. Jam as a singles is that swinging neck breaker, which looks beautiful too. When I did the, um, 
the Bobby Eaton tribute episode, like I kept bringing up that neck breaker because it's just, oh, it was, it's a thing of beauty. It really is. But this whole match is a thing of beauty. Like it really, yeah. again, like I'm, if you've made it this far in the podcast and you've never seen this match, go back. Which is this is what Wrestle War, Wrestle War ninety one, Wrestle War ninety one. It's one of the first matches too, so you don't have to fast forward very much. Go watch this match because it is really, really good. It it's it's you, it doesn't take it's not that hard to find and uh, trust me. Or if you're go ahead. And it's only like a ten minute match. So yeah. It's not like you're gonna be, you know, it's it's they do they do so much in ten minutes. Yep. And that's that's the amazing thing too, you know. Oh yeah. They, they it's completely action filled. But yet at a good pace where it's not it doesn't not feel like you. it's it's rushed. Nothing's rushed. Everything exactly. registers. You know. Because um, yeah, a ten minute bucks match. You know, I would have filled up a whole page of moves that they did actually i probably wouldn't have i'd probably would have filled up like about three lawns and been like fuck this this match sucks next and given it it would have just been they did flips they did flips that's it i bet you i could call every bucks match right now from you know now until they retire just by saying this they flipped (laughs) they did they did a bunch of flips there was a bunch of super kicks uh, everybody was in the ring for pretty much the entire match. They were either in the ring or outside the ring. There was very little tagging, and I'm not even sure who the legal person was when the match was over. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You know, if you really think about it, you got to feel bad for the refs for AEW. It's like you literally just got to count the pen whoever's doing it and hope I, to God you got the right people. <laughs> I would never it, at, in my life. I would rather work. Uh, a, a bullshit indie show where I could, you know, call for the fucking bell and yeah, everybody, yeah, the people in the match might hate me for for you know uh, ruining their finish because they don't know what the fuck they're doing. But I would rather do that than be a ref in AEW and have to just stand there and watch these these dipshits do this phony phony crap over and over and over again. <sighs> it's to me it's like you, you, you see those ref clips where they're literally counting a three or they're, they're supposed to count a two yeah and because the other the, the opponent's just not paying attention or was knocked out from a botch they basically they're, they're not kicking out so they stopped counting yeah i was like no you can you continue that pin yeah well that's what it said i forget who it was i was just i just read something like literally just read it where they were like you know if your opponent's supposed to duck a lariat, throw the lariat where you're supposed to. It's they're they're the ones who are supposed to duck and follow through with it. Act like you actually missed it. If you if you're pinning somebody, don't let go of the pin if, unless they actually kick out. Like don't just yeah. get up. I see that a lot all the time. AEW and WWE, they see guys do that shit where it's like they know it's oh, yeah. a two count, so it's like one two, and then they start to get up before like. The person, other person, even kicks out, and it's like, no, dude, like, stay on them. Make the the onus is on them to kick out, not you. Yep. But anyway, um, all right. I think I was gonna do a little uh, a little WrestleMania preview, but I don't think we really need it. I think everybody knows what's gonna happen at Mania, and it's gonna be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, who, who, who's your pick? Who's your pick for Cody? Oh, Cody's winning. <clears throat> really? I'm going yeah. Roman. Really? Yeah. I, I don't see any way they they don't put the strap on Cody here. Thousand days. They're going for the thousand days. No, it's it's a better story if he doesn't make a thousand days. True. That that's more drama. Him making a thousand days is like what an episode of SmackDown that he actually shows the fuck up to. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want Cody because Cody has already shown he'll be there every week. You know. Oh yeah. So, it, but for his pectoral injury, he probably he, he probably would have still shown up if they let him come out. I know. So, I mean, I'm I'm not the biggest Cody fan in the world. I think you know. I, I I see him more as a mid card act, but the guy's got talent. He's worked hard. He's completely over with the main with with the you know, like with the main fans. He's over with me. Yeah. He you know he does he deserves this. If anyone on that roster is going to take the belt off Roman right now, it has to be Cody. Because mm-hmm. I can't think of anyone else, and I don't want to see Brock Lesnar take it. Yep. I, I, I don't. I don't. And no disrespect to Omas, he's if somehow he beats Lesnar and no, he's not going to be one. No, he's not. This is just going to be a. It's, it's a spectacle match. Well, yeah, but it is. But Brock's actually motivated for it, so I think that it'll actually be a good match. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. I think Brock is going to get the best match you possibly can out of Omas. I think he's oh, going to yeah. try and F five him quite a few times and not going to get it. Yeah. But when he finally does, it's going to be it's going to be Hulk. It's going to be Hulk slamming Andre. I know yeah. it's not going to be that big of a cultural thing, but for wrestling fans, especially younger wrestling fans, incredible. that's it's yeah. going to be impressive. And you know, like I was saying, like I said on Twitter the other day, you know, you can't F five almost sounds a lot like you can't slam Andre, and yeah, you know that's that's. That, that's one of those things we tell somebody they can't do something and then you know the baby the heroic baby face brock lesnar which is so weird to think of brock lesnar is a baby face still but he's a great one so you know yeah. whatever who knew brock lesnar would be one of the biggest baby faces in the company <laughs> no one no one could have predicted that but uh <clears throat> so yeah though no, i think every belt except for the united states belt is going to change hands yeah Every single I mean, one of them. I think I, Sheamus is going to pin Drew McIntyre for the Intercontinental Championship belt. Yeah, but Ted Gunther. What was that? Yeah, yeah. So Gunther doesn't have an official loss, a official pinfall loss, and he can crow about that as he goes to Raw. <laughs> because I have a feeling the uh, that they're going to do a draft or some trades or something. They're going to do... Triple H is going to figure out some way to move the roster around so that guys get shifted from from one to the other. I think yeah. they should do. I think they should do like trades or uh, maybe just have Adam Pierce be like, "We're going to we're going to you know redo the rosters," and then you could have segments where like guys come in and you know talk to Adam Pierce about why they want to stay on Raw or why they want to move to SmackDown, and you can kind of build a storyline around this whole shuffling of the roster instead of just, Oh, we're going to have a draft. draft. Yeah. Yeah. You know, anything you can do to build a storyline out of something, you should fucking do it. Like exactly. Exactly. 
you know. That's why I'm still pissed that they didn't build a storyline about MJF throwing the drink on the kid. Like, goddamn, man, that's fucking perfect fucking babyface fodder right there. And you just let it fucking just go and didn't do anything with it, man. I would have had fucking hangnail Adam Page or fucking Jack Perry or fucking somebody come out that the very next fucking dynamite and fucking just run uh, MJF up one side and down the other for being a complete douchebag for throwing something at a kid. And I'm going to fucking, I'm going to take this belt back for the fans because you obviously don't care about them and then give me my ass beat at the next, you know, big show. But like, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, come on. <laughs> have you, have yeah, you, makes, you know, do something with it. Obviously, you got bad press, so make you know you don't just ignore it. Yeah, have a guy you know come back and say something about it. Have you never watched wrestling, Tony Khan? He's the Booker of the Year for the last like three years. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. Well, yeah, he he knows something. Well, the real Booker of the Year for this year listens to our show. Hello, Hunter. <laughs> thanks for li- thanks for tuning in. Exactly. <laughs> But uh, so anyway, I remember, you got into it. I remember you, some some uh, I don't know who it was. Someone commented that they you know, like trying to make fun of us by saying, "Oh, your your podcast is." Oh, no one no one watches no one watches your podcast. Yeah, you know who that tried, guy? Like, oh, go ahead. I'm like Triple H does. Triple H does. I'm I'm still convinced he does. So I, I'm um, convinced that he he's watched it a few times, in in the sense of hey. We're on a long flight. Put something on. But uh, well, you know who that you know who that douchebag was that said that. No, I don't. The voice of GCW. You're GC- kidding? Yeah, GCW, the Nick Gage, uh, garbage wrestling, garbage championship wrestling. I know it's game changer, but it should be garbage championship wrestling. Yeah, that that's who that guy was. He's like the announcer, the ring announcer, or whatever, for or commentary or what I have no idea what he does. Cause I don't watch that awful trash. Okay, I have wrestling. three comments like real quick, rapid fire one. I'm just learning. It's called game changer wrestling. I honestly thought it was like garbage, something wrestling. No. Like, I'm not, I'm not even kidding. I'm not trying to make fun of them. I thought that's literally what the name was. I never, I would never have guessed. If you were to give me a thousand guesses, I would never have said game changer. No. Number two. I thought that guy was just an e-fed guy. Like I thought that like, he had like his own little e-fed, like you know, um, you know, like like, like I'm the voice of the guys. LWF. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I didn't think he was like in the business business. Well, like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not slamming e-feds or anything like that. I'm just no, literally I'm... thinking like I, I don't think he. Would, I didn't realize he had some importance to a actual promotion i'm gonna say this i think being an announcer commentator for an efed is closer to be in the business than having anything to do with gcw okay that's true that's true let's play all the cards on the table you're right you're right that is most likely true but i i didn't realize he was like paid yeah in, in that regard you know i didn't realize you know like somehow he was connected to an act to an act to a company Mm-hmm. And then the third is, what did you do to rile him so up that this guy would like, you know, try to, you know, try to attack you? I don't remember what I said. Um, I really don't. Hold on. Let me see if I can find it on my. Uh... Well, it's going to be way back. <sighs> yeah, this would be. 
weeks ago, actually, wasn't it? I can't remember yeah. now. Hold on, maybe I can search for him. I can't remember now. I don't know. I could have sworn. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know where the thing. Hey, man. Hey, you're. Uh, hold on. Do you need me to mute you? Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, folks. I'm looking. I'm trying to look for something that uh, we were talking about the other, today. And it was a while ago. What are the championship wrestling episodes? I wish I could filter out the. Uh... Hey, man. You still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Sorry about that. I'm still trying to find out <laughs> what I said that made him feel like nobody enriches your podcast. Oh. This is what I said. He, I've, it's, okay, I know this is like, <laughs> this is a meal. Uh, he said, it's mind boggling to me, AEW would put. Viking go on television without airing a long form 11 part Ken Burns documentary and mailing everyone in the country a well sourced essay, blah, 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 blah. Basically being a smart ass, right? Okay, yeah. So I, I retweeted that. him and I said, Take a simple request that someone who is supposed to be a big deal get introduced better than a tweet and a loss to Omega and make it sound unreasonable. Way to go, gaslighting son of a bitch. And that's what made him mad. I guess, because that's what he said. Nobody listens to your podcast. Oh, geez. And then somebody else said, they showed a video package and explained him on commentary, cry more. And I was like, on Rampage. Nobody watches Rampage. Exactly. <laughs> do, you not, do you get, do you, does no one who likes AEW understands that like, not even, not even half the people that watch Dynamite every week watch Rampage. Anyway, you know, you know what I don't understand about, you know, about all this issue. I What's mean, that? maybe I just grew up differently with this. Like you literally had, I'm going to go from, I'm going to go with, with three really you know different examples. One bad, one good, one great. Give me just a second. Sure. All right, shoot. Okay, so this whole like idea of introducing people, and you know, like okay, so the idea with AEW is that they believe wrestling fans or true wrestling fans consume all forms of wrestling. Mm -hmm. So let's take that premise as true, though. There are gonna be there are gonna be people like me who don't watch everything because they don't have the time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't kill you to put a ten second, ten to twenty second vignette. For these people now look when i'm using wcw examples they literally introduced 
Scott Norton without any fanfare. He just came out on a Monday Nitro and attacked Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. No one knew who he was. They didn't try to fix it. Okay. Yep. You know, is what it is. I mean, Bischoff tried to play him off as somebody big. But then they went ahead and did, you know, maybe beforehand or years later. I don't remember the timeline. But they did a vignette for the American males so that we understood who Scotty Wiggs was or Marcus and Marcus Alexander Bagwell were. You know, they, mm-hmm. they wanted to make sure there was like some kind of like promo featuring hyping them up. Yeah. And also they did it with um, what was that guy's name? I can't. I, I'm, I'm blanking on this one character's name now. Um, a Ming. Haku. Anybody knows who Haku was. Yeah. yeah, he was going by Ming now. But they literally gave him a promo video before a match with Sting. So that way, just in case you haven't been watching wrestling in a while, here's a you know monster of a man that's going to have his first match in WCW, who you probably do know from the WWF. Yep. But we're going to hype him up so that way, just in case you haven't seen any other wrestling match ever, here's you know something to, to know him by. So yep. you have three instances there where it's like it didn't have a promo and that feud felt that feud felt flat. You yep. at least you had a promo to at least introduce characters to a company, and then you had a promo to take a well-established wrestler who you know was a threat in the WWF mm-hmm. to build him up for a match with Sting. Yep. Why can't AEW just learn from that? It's not mm-hmm. unreasonable to say. Um, and again, I say this respectfully because I don't remember these guys' names. They have a, there's a lot of wrestlers over there. But I think it was like El Vikingo or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yes, that's who it was. Give a 20-second promo, you know? I mean... A 10-second promo, a highlight reel. Because, and I was joking about this on Twitter, if you don't give me a highlight reel and your response is search for him, I searched for Okada when yeah. I first didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it was the first hit, but the TNA Green Hornet ripoff Okado, which was what he portrayed in TNA, was yep. the first, was like one of the first hits. It was up there. Yep. So you're telling me, like, that's how I'm going to always remember Okada now yep. as the guy who played a Green Hornet ripoff yep. of a sidekick. Mm-hmm. That could have been avoided if you gave us a small video package. And, I mean, not, and again, you're not asking for much. You're not asking for a biography. You're not asking for a, you know, hour-long special or a 300-page dissertation. You are literally just asking, 10-second clip, tell us why it's important. Don't just send Tony Khan out there or um, QT Marshall or any other personality, Tony Schiavone, and yeah. say, here's yeah. your match against Vikingo. Yeah. Ooh, no. to, well, to and it was, it was a tweet. That's what it was. It oh, was a course. tweet. From Tony Khan saying this is a dream match. And I'm like, how can it be a dream match when I barely know who one of the guys is? Yeah. You know, and also. I mean, there was a long time. I thought Kenny Omega was Kenny was Kenny from the spirit squad. (laughs) I'm not joking. I I never saw Kenny Omega wrestle. I didn't know what he looked like, but everybody was talking about him. And I'm like, oh, you know, because this was at a time where you couldn't use your real name. Yeah. Or not your name, but you couldn't use your WWE name. You, you you would add a surname to it or something like, oh, this must be Kenny from WWE. He added the Omega to it. Like 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 Johnny, uh, uh, um, what was like John Morrison? Everywhere he goes. Yeah, it's Johnny Nitro, Johnny Morrison, Johnny, Johnny Impact, um, Johnny Lucha, or whatever it was, Johnny yeah. Mundo. You know, 
it's like that's what I thought it was. I thought they were just like, okay, we're sticking Team 3D. We came well, brother away. Right? And there's also oh, that's what it is. Like here, and here's well, even here's the this is the thing that boggles my mind, right? The whole point of having a wrestling company is supposed to be to make money. Yeah. This is supposed to be the point. I understand Tony Khan doesn't isn't worried about that right now. At some point, I'm sure he will be, because even his dad will be like, "You're wasting my fucking money now." You know what I mean? Exactly. But uh, to to make money in wrestling, you want as many people to view your show as possible, which means casual fans i'm sorry i hate to say that i know that that's a big no-no among the internet wrestling community you know but although my wife's a casual fan and she loves wrestling she just doesn't follow it the way you know she doesn't watch AEW. she doesn't watch nxt she watches raw and smackdown the pay-per-views and that's pretty much it you know she sees she sees news occasionally on twitter but she's not like following a bunch of wrestlers or following a bunch of people that talk about wrestling. So she's pretty much what I would consider a modern day casual fan, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get casual fans into your arena by introducing a bunch of people. They don't fucking know and telling them, Oh, you're really supposed to like this. And then when they don't, or they don't know who it is getting mad at them about it. That drives fans away. That, that says we don't want you in our special little club. The problem is your special little club isn't going to make any goddamn money. And eventually your special little club's not going to exist. And you're either going to go back to being assholes at WWE events, which I fucking hope you don't because I'm so you, you realize like since AEW formed, like no CM Punk chance, no, this sucks. Like you can't wrestle. None of hardly any of that stuff has been going on at WWE events that I've been to or that I've watched. Is that yeah. true? I mean, no, I agree. like, so all the AEW fans that used to try and take over WWE events to be smart asses and assholes and ruin the experience for the rest of us who are there to have a couple of beers, boo the heels, cheer the baby faces and go home happy. You know, anyway, so they're either going to do that or they're going to go back to obsessively watching all these other freaking indies and, and all of this other stuff. But they're probably just going to go back to booing, booing WWE because they still watch WWE anyway. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I just the, the whole thing freaking perplexes me and. Like yeah. I said, if you want casual fans, you have to be open and welcoming to wrestling fans that may not know everything about fucking wrestling that ever fucking happened. Also, I mean, I could do a better job of that because I have an extensive knowledge of 80s wrestling that most people don't. And I try to not be condescending when I talk to them about it, but also yeah. like. You know, I really like something, so I'm well versed in it. So you, so you got to be welcoming to these people. You can't just say, oh, well, you need to Google him. Look it up. Oh, if you don't like it, just don't watch. No, I want it to be better. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. You know. Mm. I, I find it funny. And I know we're getting way off tangent on this. But I find it funny when people say, if you don't like it, don't watch. That was what people were saying to you guys who were 
always ragging on WWE. Yeah. And yet they still watched because they wanted, they were hoping that it would get better. And that's what, I mean, like, there are people like me who will just be like, I'm done. I, I tried. I, I couldn't get into it, so I'm not going to worry about it anymore. And then there are people, there'll be people who are like, yeah, well, you know what? I'm, there's, there's the chance for good. You have talented wrestlers like FDR or Daniel, uh, Brian Danielson or Claudio Cast. I don't yeah. know how to pronounce that. Cesaro. But, you know, Cesaro. So you, yeah. you have the potential there for it to be good. Well, and yeah. then you have leaders yeah. like, you know, Mark Henry, uh, Sting, um, who else? Uh, uh, Jericho in theory. In I'm sorry, not in theory. In theory, Jericho. Yeah, Jericho. Is yeah, we, we really are, we're, we're slowly realizing. Well, you huh? had fucking William Regal there. You had yeah. fucking Tully Blanchard. You had fucking Arn Anderson. Like, yeah, you had Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson in your goddamn locker room, and you, if you didn't, my God, those those two guys would be so sick of me hounding them, asking them about my match, asking them questions, just trying to be around them and just suck up like a sponge any droplet of knowledge they possibly had because they were two of the best to ever, ever do it. And they made more money than than anyone in the business by like leaps and bounds. Like during their time, of course. Yeah, during their during their time for the money that they made at that time is still comparable to it's still probably more than the money that somebody makes now if you adjust for the inflation and whatnot. Yeah. You know, but I mean yeah. still, like they they made money, they sold out houses in a smaller territory with yeah. you know <laughs> whatever. Every week. They'd sell out the same place every goddamn week. People would come exactly. to see them wrestle. Not once a fucking month, not once every six fucking months, every freaking week. Yeah. So, whatever. But yeah, no, I, I, I see what you were saying. What were you saying? I don't even remember how we got here. We were talking oh, I, about. I was talking about um, you know, the people like don't watch it if you don't like it kind of thing oh, and how, yeah. how that's never been the case for wrestling fans. Well, I always thought my thought was and my, this was actually, my wife told me this when I was like, Oh, I'm going to stop watching WWE. This is stupid. And she was like, are there still people there that you like to watch wrestle? I was like, yeah. And she's like, well then watch for them because you know, that's what I do. If, if you're, if you're turning off the show completely, you're hurting the people you like you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. You know exactly. what I mean? Like if there's people you don't like, that's why I watch most of my wrestling on a delay, like a half hour to 45 minute delay from what's live, because I want to be able to fast forward through the commercials and I want to be able to fast forward through a segment or two if I don't want to see it, you know, yeah. but I still want to watch the program because I want that number up there because I want the people that I like to, <laughs> to get, to get ratings. Anyway, so there you go. And you, you know, you, you have to support the product that there's at least a couple people you like on it. Like that's why I still watch Raw. I mean, I I haven't watched much since um, AJ went out, but yeah. I still watch for Becky. I still watch for Bailey and Bliss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's I, about it. I watch for Seth. <laughs> I uh, watch I, Seth I, I'm kind of back on Seth. I'm, I'm back on the Seth bandwagon. I was off for a while, but well, this see. new. Um, 
this new uh, freaking Rollins character has really grown on me. Yeah, and to think it's all started out as a heel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's fantastic. I, I think Seth is just Seth is such a great worker. I don't really care about his promos that much because I could give him or take him. I just yeah. he's so good at the ring it, oh, yeah. that it you know like it, he could give me the most half-assed promo on the face of the planet. I'm like, yeah, go kick Matt Riddle's ass. And then it's also like, fuck Matt Riddle. He's a douchebag. Yeah, <laughs> but um. Yeah. So, well, and that there's here. This brings up another thing. We're all closing in on two hours here. Um, oh wow. Yeah, I know. It's a nice long, uh, nice long episode for all of you that uh, are on a road trip right now, or maybe on a plane, or maybe you're soaking in your hot tub, and or maybe you're planning WrestleMania. Oh yeah, maybe maybe you're sitting maybe you're sitting there in uh, Los Angeles, you know, in your hotel room, or uh, you're in the uh, in the stadium making making last minute adjustments. And uh, you want to sit in your office and listen to something for a minute. And uh, here we are. But uh, there, I got in this discussion the other day because uh, somebody was like, oh, uh, people are jumping on the Roman bandwagon now. Talking about how great Roman is and how great his matches are. <laughs> and I was like, well, I was saying that like five years ago when you guys were booing him out of the damn building. <laughs> so... Oh, you know, like he had great matches with. I can't think of a of a feud that Roman had where he didn't have good matches with his opponent. Maybe with Bray Wyatt, but that's I think that's more to do with the fact that Bray's not a very good worker. So, yeah, that was, there you go. I just wanted to put that little snub in there to people. All right, yellow. Are you there? Did I lose you? Hello, Rob. I think I lost Rob. You still there? I yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here. I'm here. Okay, <laughs> I thought I lost I... you for a second. I went on no, my... a little tangent about Roman. I was like, well, maybe he just got fed up and hung up. No, my my cat jumped on my mon- my laptop, and I thought he disconnected me. I couldn't hear you, and I couldn't I, I couldn't um get the screen to load. I, I thought maybe it. he put me in airplane mode. <laughs> Sorry about that. You're fine. You're fine. So, but yeah, like like I was saying about Roman, like he was having banger matches in you know 20, 2018. Just you guys got all butt hurt because they were pushing him as a baby face, and you didn't want him to be pushed as a baby face. Yep. And I think a lot of that was the AEW fans. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I remember kids loved Roman. I remember going to shows because I we were my, me and my wife were going to at least one show a year back then. And every time we yeah. went to shows, there was always like his merchandise was freaking everywhere. And it was all kids. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, this, you don't like this guy. Well, this guy's the next fucking he's like a John Cena like he's gonna be huge I think if he didn't want to do part-time then he probably would be bigger but I have a feeling that this part-time thing is gonna kind of you know push him down a little bit because you know if Cody if Cody wants to be the face of the company he wants to be there every week 
that's a lot better than the face of the company who's there every three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And also is the heel. <laughs> you mm-hmm. need a baby face. Yep. And, you know, Roman will have his, his, uh, his little, uh, oh, here's, here's a good question. Getting off the Roman topic real quick, since we're talking about wrestling and this whole thing started with us talking about WrestleMania. (laughs) Who do you think is going to win the edge and Finn Balor match? It has to be Balor. Yeah, that's what I think too. I mean, I heard, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, from a, okay, a story standpoint says Edge has to win mm-hmm. because that's how stories work. Yeah. The, but the, but the lot, the, the, the way wrestling should work is that Balor should win because he already lost the last match. In Judgment Day, he needs, to, he needs to come out of this looking... Like unless Looking. they're disbanding Judgment Day, because because I mean I guess Dominic wins his match against Ray, even though like even though Ray should win it, I guess because that, that's how that story should work. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Like the people who need the wins are the a lot of the heels in this mm-hmm. on, on the show, and yet only I can only safely say one of them is going to get the win, and that's theory. Yeah, but like I mean I guess Roman doesn't need the win, but everybody else. It needs to be the challenge, uh, the, like the like the the heel if they're not in a title match. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's it's hard. I, it's hard to book it like that. See, that's the thing. But I I I think again, are they disbanding Judgment Day, or yeah. does Finn, or does does Edge beat Finn and take Judgment Day back over? I guess he could, but then again, I'm like, why is he going to do that? Like, he just switched bit back. He's been back babyface this whole time. You know, well, is he maybe mad at another big show? Don't don't make him another big show. <laughs> big show would turn Big show would turn babyface to heel to babyface in the same freaking episode of Raw. Yeah. No, uh, I, I don't mean, want that. <laughs> I, I think I think Balor has to win because you can't have the demon not winning on the main roster. He's already lost to Roman. Yeah. I can't remember who else. He, I think he lost to... Oh, it was Bray Wyatt. That's yep. the AJ match. That's what I remember. But and, 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 but I think Balor as a demon lost to Bray Wyatt too or something yep. like that too. Yeah, he but, did. Well, no, he yeah, lost he, to The Fiend, didn't he? Yes. You can't... And that's it. You can't... You can't... You, you devalue the demon if you have him lose at Hell in a Cell. So yeah. it has to be... It has to be Balor. I, th- I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. So, there you go. There you go, folks. There you go. Same thing with Dom and Rey Mysterio. I don't know how that's going to turn out. But... It's got to be... It's got to be... It's got to be Dom. It has, it has to be interference, though. I don't think Dom can pin Rey Mysterio clean. No. But then... That's, but that's, then... That's I'm sure Damian Priest is there. But then... Do we really need this to this storyline to continue for another fucking year? How old is Ray? Ray said he wants to retire at fifty. How much longer he's, does he want to be in the WWE? I think Ray is fifty now. If he's not fifty, he's got to be up there. So, I mean, I don't know. 
I don't know. I I'm curious. I'm curious what's going to happen with Legado de Fantasma because I don't trust them as baby faces. No, because they work better like... as a heel team. Yeah, so... maybe. Okay, you know what? You're talking about could they disband the Judgment Day? Maybe, and then Dom joins Legado. Legado. Yeah. I mean, he could. They could. That wouldn't or, be bad. Or Legato disbands, and Dom Dom forms his own like prison gang <laughs> using um whatever their names are. I can't. I, I I'm I'm really bad with names. Um, the, the, you know the, the tag team part. The, yeah. Those two guys. I don't know. I don't know. But th- this uh, is another. Smart. Another thing I've talked about several times in these past couple of months is there's so many, everything has a bunch of roads open to it and we don't know what's going to happen because we don't know exactly how Triple H is going to book it. Like, yeah. And I like that. The the unpredictability is making it more exciting for me. The, you know, for the past 40 fucking 50 years, yeah, for the past 40 years, we've pretty much known what's going to happen in WWE because we've gotten used to the way Vince does stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's yeah. gotten, it got very formulaic there towards the end. And now it's, well, I don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> I don't know what yeah. Hunter's going to do, you know? Um, and it's, but, but the thing that's really been fun is I've been able to predict a lot more stuff because I'm, per, I'm, I'm going with what would work in wrestling <laughs> as opposed to what would work in Vince's fucked up sports entertainment mind. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Mm. All right, let's call it a day. We've reached two hours and five minutes. I think that's long enough for these people to have listened to us ramble and bullshit <laughs> and talk. Um, next episode is going to be, um, well, first of all, thank you all for sticking with us through this. We appreciate each and every one of you. Especially Um, because of the long hiatus too. Yes. Especially with the long hiatus, we are going to get back on it. In fact, next week we're going to do a WrestleMania review show where we're going to go over the best and worst of WrestleMania and our opinions. Uh, I have a. I'm really hoping that the only worst on this WrestleMania is the uh, two showcase bathroom break matches. <laughs> the tag matches. Yes, the the four yeah. the four team tag matches, which I can thank you Triple H for for going ahead and scheduling in a bathroom and beer break for everyone that's going to be in the stadium. Please put it in the middle of the card that night so that everyone can you know go do what they want to do. And they don't have to watch the stupid garbage match. (laughs) But um, thank you for sitting through this with us. We will be back next week with the WrestleMania review. And then after that, we are going to hop back on doing some uh, WCW reviews. I think we might do like three or four of those right in a row because I really enjoy them. And uh, I've missed watching the old wrestling so I want to, before we go back to another god awful WWE Survivor Series or SummerSlam, <laughs> I want to watch something I know I'm going to enjoy. So anyway, uh, you can find uh, us on Twitter at Back to the Ring. As always, if you have a question, a comment, or a concern, 
drop us a line there. You can find uh, me at Bob Zevon, and you can find Rob at the real Pinoy Rob. Correct? Yep. There we go. That's uh, that's all of it, and all the time we have. Everyone, thank you so much for being around. Go watch those Brad Armstrong matches. Um, if you have a question where to find one, if you're listening, find us on Twitter, and we'll tell you where to find it. And as my good friend Arn Anderson would say, it's been your pleasure. Goodbye.